Thanks, Auth. What up, church? How y'all doing this morning? Woo! Yeah. Woo Woo is always such a funny way to respond to questions, right? Like, if we just did that in our day-to-day life, like, hey, how are you doing? Woo! Like, as you're walking down the street, that would be, that'd be interesting. Um, so, true confession, uh, I really like sleep. I like, I like to sleep at retreats. And I got, I think, this is probably the, the best sleep that I've gotten at a retreat. Before any other people out here like sleep? Woo's, yeah, all the, oh, a lot of sleepers, there it is, way to go. Well, hopefully you were able to get some good sleep as well. Um, so I was talking to Matthew McClure last night, and every time we see each other, it seems like we alternate on who's taller. So one time I might be a little bit taller, and I just have like some, some taller shoes, and that's why, and then the next time. Last night he was actually a little bit taller than me, but later this evening, we're gonna get to hear from Megan Winters. And, you know, little firecracker there. But we were talking about, we're like, man, this might be the smallest lineup for a fall (laughs) retreat speaker weekend. So for all the short people out there, this is a a big weekend for us, y'all. We're moving on up, not actually like, you know, height wise, but in in the world, we're we're making it. Um, As I was praying for this time though, my prayer for you guys, is that you would encounter Jesus. And I know I can't make that happen with a talk, but I'm praying that the Holy Spirit will meet you here today through your time with the Lord, through the session, or as we're gonna talk about today, through each other. Later today, you guys are gonna have a chance to connect in your teams, and some of your teams might break down in the small groups, and teams and small groups are fantastic because God seems to use them in a powerful way in our lives. I remember about six years ago, I was in a small group with guys I'm still close with today. And one day we were sharing about our lives and one guy began to quiver as he spoke because he'd had one of the roughest weeks I'd ever heard. So first his girlfriend of two years broke up with him. And then he found out he lost his scholarship to OSU. So he had to take out this massive loan, and then he started working this fast food job just so he can stay in school. And then just hours before small group, he got a call from his dad. His dad called to say he had terminal cancer, and he only had a few months left to live. This guy in our small group, his life was falling apart right before our eyes. And as tears ran down his face, he asked us a chilling question. Where is God? When I need him the most, where is he? Where is he in all of this? Surely there are seminaries and theologians out there who can provide an answer to this question. My friend didn't want to embroil himself in a two-hour discussion about the metaphysical realities of God. My friend didn't want bumper sticker Bible verses to provide a silver lining in his life. Now, what my friend wanted in that moment is something we all crave. He wanted to see God. He wanted a face he could see, a hand he could touch, a person he could hug, a friend he could have a conversation with. He wanted to know God was with him. And so if God is real, where is he? Where is he? 
We're going to revisit that story later today. But for now, let me pray for us as we ask, where is God? And how does the church fit into all of this? Let me pray. Heavenly Father, you are wonderful, you are amazing, and you are so, so good to us. Thank you for adopting us and bringing us into your family. Thank you that you have rescued us and brought us into a relationship with you and that we actually get to know you. And Lord, we can relate in different areas of our life, in different moments of our life. We wonder, where are you? What are you doing? And so, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would speak to us this morning, and I pray that we would get to see you a little bit more clearly. We love you, and we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so last night we talked about living upward. God calls us upward, and we get to know who we are because of who he is. He has given us this lavish grace, and now we get to have this relationship with him. And today, we're going to touch on what it means to live inward, to love Jesus' church. And it's easy to love each other at a retreat, right? You're not doing homework. You have some free time. You're getting to play board games and hang out with your friends. Someone else makes all your food for you. But soon, we're going to bid farewell to this make-believe life, and we're going to return to the real world, a world where stress and anxiety can run rampant. And, a lo and loving his church can be an afterthought. So as we prepare as a church to re-enter campus later today, let's do so with the word. So open with me to John 13. And we're going to be walking through John 13 and John 14. Some of the verses will be on the screen, but some of them won't. And so we just want to encourage you guys, read these passages on your own. Because the words I'm going to say today, they're just going to fade away. But the word that you hold in your hand, that is eternal. And God will speak to you through it long after this time. So we'll be in John 13. And John 13 begins with what's known as Jesus' farewell discourse. They call it his farewell because Jesus is saying goodbye. He's about to be captured and killed. And they call it a discourse or a teaching because he's telling his disciples, until I come back, this is how the church is meant to live. This is what the church is meant to look like. And if I had to sum up chapter 13, the thesis statement would be John 13, 34, where Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. You know, at first glance, you may think that's not that big of a deal. Jesus told people to love others all the time. But no, this is different. If you look a little closer, it doesn't say don't just love one another. It says love one another just as I, exactly as I have loved you. This is deeper than random acts of kindness, right? To feel the weight of that command, you need to ask yourself, how did Jesus love? I imagine in that moment, each disciple recalled the ways that they had seen Jesus love. Jesus healed the sick. He helped the poor. He called out demons. He wept with people. In fact, moments before Jesus commanded the 11 who made up the church at that time to love, he got on a knee like a servant and washed their feet. He physically washed the church. And it foreshadowed when he got on a cross as our Savior and spiritually washed the church. 
As Jesus said in John 15, greater love has none than this, to lay down your life for your friends. This is the kind of love Jesus is calling us to. This is the kind of love he's calling his church to. Don't just love like you think you should love. Don't just love like the world loves. No, love each other just as I have loved you. This is a costly love. This is a reckless love. And if this is what Jesus calls the church to, then it's good for each of us to ask ourselves, do you love the church like Jesus loves the church? Do you love the church like Jesus loves the church? We live in a consumer culture, and it's easy to come to church and expect to get something from her. But you don't have to just get from the church. You can actually give. You can love her. Living inward means laying your life down for the church like Jesus. So it's good to ask yourself, how are you loving the church? How are you loving the church? If you were sitting in that room with Jesus, you're one of his best friends, and you would recall all the ways that he had loved you. And I imagine you'd wonder, how on earth can I love like you, Jesus? That's impossible. How can I love anyone like you love? And as you're trying to wrap your mind around that thought, Jesus drops another bomb. He says he's leaving, maybe forever. And so now you start to feel troubled. Where are you going, Jesus? What am I going to do without you? I can't love like you. I can't live like you. I need you. Don't leave me. But then it's as if Jesus knows what you're thinking in that very moment, and he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that weren't so, would I tell you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? Jesus sees it in their faces and says, don't be troubled. And he gives them an incredible promise. I'm going to heaven to prepare a place for you. And in that moment, if I'm a disciple, I'm thinking, you know, that sounds cool. But where is heaven? Is it up? Is it in the sky? How do I even get there? And so in verse 4, Jesus says this. You know the way. You know the way to heaven. And so I imagine the disciples sitting there trying to connect the dots in their head. They're like, okay, so God has got this house, apparently, in heaven. And Jesus is, is, is going there. And I'm guessing at some point he told me how to get there. But I can't seem to recall what that is. And then Thomas finally pipes up. And he says what the rest of them are probably thinking. He's like, no, we don't, Lord. We have no idea where you're going. How can we possibly know the way? And I love the rawness that we see from Thomas here. And he's experiencing what so many people in the church often experience. Fear. Anxiety. Doubt. Because it's so human, right? It's so real. Jesus, where are you going? What are you doing? And what am I supposed to do? Help me. There are shades of my friend from small group here when he was asking God, where are you? 
So let's pause at this pregnant moment in scripture because there's something implicit that needs to be drawn out. These were the people who were closest to Jesus, the people who theoretically should have all the answers. But as we see here, and as we see in so many other moments of scripture, being in the church doesn't mean you have it all figured out. It doesn't mean you don't have questions or fears or insecurities or issues. So full disclosure, I'm kind of a nerd, and one of my favorite things to do in my free time, I like to listen to TED Talks. And if you don't know what those are, they're basically these like 15-minute provocative messages on a variety of topics. And one TED Talk I listened to was by a world-renowned researcher by the name of Brenna Brown. And it's called The Power of Vulnerability. And I'm a sucker for oxymorons like that, so I clicked on the link, and Brown did this study by asking this simple question to social media. What makes you feel vulnerable? What makes you feel vulnerable? And here are some of the responses that flooded in. Asking for help. Lacking control. Admitting that I don't know something. Owning my failures, being rejected by a guy or a gal or by an organization for a job, being exposed, people knowing something about me that I didn't want them to know. And these are all normal things, right? We can relate to at least one of those things. But then her follow-up question was this. How do you deal with feeling vulnerable? Like, what do you do in that moment when you feel vulnerable? And the results she found were scary but they back up what we already know. We try to numb ourselves. The research says we're the most in debt, obese, drug addicted, and prescription medicated age in world history. And obviously, there are many factors to that, but one undeniable factor is this. We don't wanna feel vulnerable. And so when we do, we often try to numb it through escaping. But here's what was so fascinating to me about the research that Brown showed. She found you can't selectively numb emotion. You can't just say, here's the bad stuff, vulnerability, grief, shame, fear, disappointment. I don't want to feel those. So I'm going to have a few beers or go get some canes or do whatever, and I'm going to get rid of those bad emotions. No, when you numb your negative emotions, Research shows you numb all of your emotions. You numb happiness, gratitude, excitement. And when we numb all of those, we feel miserable because we're looking for purpose. We're looking for meaning, but we can't find it. We can't feel it. And so we feel more vulnerable. And then we may reach for more beer or more canes or more porn or more work or binge watch something because we want to feel numb. And then we enter into this cycle. But our research showed there's one way out of this cycle. There's one way that we can escape it. And it was pretty cool. She said it's to believe you're worthy of being loved. Believe you're worthy of feeling loved. And then out of that place of security to be vulnerable. And it's interesting, she seemed to be at a loss to know how we are worthy of love. But we know, right? We know. We know we can say with confidence 
that we're worthy of being loved. Because that's exactly what Matthew was talking about last night, right? We know we're loved because our God from heaven came down to us, wrapped himself in flesh, walked with us, talked with us, and rescued us through the cross to bring us into a relationship with him. And now we have this living, breathing relationship with the creator of the universe because he chose us and he called us by name. That is why we are worthy of being loved. And then when we know Jesus, when we know who he is and what he has to say about us, then we can be the relational and vulnerable humans that God made us to be. That's exactly what happened with my friend from small group whose dad was dying. In the 24 hours before small group, he was out to numb himself. He went out and got drunk, and then when that didn't work, he turned to self-harm. But in the midst of trying to numb himself, he had a moment of sobriety, and he remembered, I'm a child of God. What am I doing here? This isn't what I need. And so he left the bar, went home, and then by the grace of God, came to small group the next day. And I wonder how many of us here, in some way, shape, or form, we're trying to numb ourselves through porn, through drug addiction, through unhealthy relationships. If that's you, we want you to know the church is meant to be a place of healing, not numbing. The church is where we can be reminded you have worth, you have value, and so you can come out of hiding. Pastor Tim Keller has this quote that I often come back to. He says, to be loved and not known is superficial. To be known and not loved is what we fear. But to be fully known and fully loved, well, that's like being loved by God. And that's what we need the most. The church is a place for that. It's a place to be fully known and fully loved. Many of us have these areas of our life that we keep locked up, that we wouldn't dare share with the people around us. We may feel too messy, too sinful, too far gone. We think it's best to stay hidden. But if that's you, please hear this. You're being lied to. You are being lied to. Because whatever area of your life it is, I promise you, Jesus can handle it. Jesus can handle it. And this is your invitation to let it out today. To be fully known and fully loved by his church. So ask yourself, what areas of your life need to be fully known so you can be fully loved? What areas of your life need to be fully known so you can feel fully loved? People may like you, but... Do they know the real you? If not, it's costing you real relationship. If you're a woman and you've been hiding, will you consider sharing it with a sister in Christ? If you're a man and you've been hiding, will you consider sharing with a brother in Christ? Allow yourself to be fully known and fully loved. Going back to the text, I love Thomas's question because it's so vulnerable and so real. And just like my friend from small group, he's afraid. He's scared. He's vulnerable. He's wondering, God, where are you? In the moments I need you most, where will you be? 
It sounds like you're going to the Father who dwells with the angels in heaven, but I'm pretty sure I can't find that on a map. So how am I going to chart a course to find you if I don't know where you'll be? Help us. Help us know the way. And his honesty yields one of the most beautiful responses in all of Scripture. John 14, 6, Jesus told him, I am the way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. How can we know the way? Jesus says, I am the way. I am the way. We don't need a path to God. We need a person. We need the person whose face we could see, whose hand we could touch, who we could hug, a friend we could talk to and see him smile back and know that he is with us. But if I'm sitting at that table feeling troubled and Jesus is like, I am the way, there's part of me that's like, what does that mean, Jesus? If you're the way to heaven, do I just hold your hand while you levitate away? Do I just think about you and then poof, disappear into heaven with you? I think the disciples are a bit irritated at this point. So Philip interjects at 14.8, and he says, well, why don't you just show us the Father right now? Right? Just show, show us the Father. That's a legit question. If you're the way to God, just show us God now. To which Jesus turns, looks Philip square in the eye, and says the amazing words of verse 9. Philip, I've been with you all this time. Do you still not know who I am? I and the Father are one. And anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Jesus said he and God are one. The Son and the Father are one. What? Can you imagine looking into the fleshy, dirty face of a man? And you hear him say, I'm the God of the universe. I'm the one who made the stars. I am who I am. The room would go silent, wouldn't it? It would change the entire tone of that meal. I'm sitting at a table with my creator. And I can't take my eyes off of him. This is what he sounds like. This is what he looks like, what he smells like, what he feels like. I can see God right now. How did I miss him before? But now he's leaving? What do I do when I need him the most? This is the question, and in answering it, Jesus tells them a profound mystery starting in verse 15. If you love me, keep my commandments, and I'll ask the Father, and he'll give you another helper. He will never leave you. He's the Holy Spirit who leads you into all truth. The world can't receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him, but you know him. You know him because he dwells with you, and later he will live in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. So he reiterates, obey my commands. Presumably the one he had just said, love like I love, which is impossible, right? It's absolutely impossible to love like Jesus loved, and Jesus knows that. 
He knows you need divine intervention to do that. You need a divine agent. You need the life of Christ living in you to help you love like he loves. So Jesus will send you a helper, the helper, the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth. A while ago, my wife and I got into an argument. Uh, Her name is Erica, and we both ended up leaving the house pretty angry. And I've shared this before, but sometimes when I'm having a rough day, uh, I crave Taco Bell. And yeah, I don't know why, but when I want to numb myself, I choose to do so with the lowest quality beef and liquid cheese known to man. (laughs) So I hit the drive-thru, and I sat in the parking lot, and I was eating my feelings in the form of a chalupa. (laughs) And as I was doing that, I was listening to NPR, and they were talking about how bananas are actually going extinct, which is super sad, right? Um, so the first thing I can recall remembering is, man, I should really be eating a banana right now. I, I'm really going to miss those when they're gone. Um, but the second thing I thought was about Erica. And I don't know why, but in that moment, I was just moved to pray. And so I said, God, Lord, I'm a weak husband. Please make me a better husband. And not in an audible voice, but... In an inner voice, the Holy Spirit said to me, Vivek, let me be the husband you can never be. And as I sat there in the silence, that sentence pierced my train of thought. And I remember thinking, Lord, you are right. You are so right. I can't love like you love me. I need help. Tell me what to do. And again, not in an audible voice, but he said, Stop eating Taco Bell (laughs) and go apologize to your wife. And as I started my car to drive home, he said, and also bring her a chalupa. I'm I'm just kidding. He didn't say the last part about the chalupa, but the rest of it, he totally told me. And I know what you might be thinking. uh, The stuff he told me in that moment wasn't super profound, right? Like any one of you could have told me the same thing. Go home and apologize to your wife. But I'm often a self-absorbed narcissist, and I need a lot of help. I need the helper to lead me in many simple ways like that. And the word translated as helper in this passage is a Greek word, paraclete. And we talked about this word during the Living Water series that we were doing on campus, and it literally means to come alongside. Uh, And paraclete is used to describe only one other person besides the Holy Spirit in Scripture. Do you guys know who that is? Jesus, right. Yeah, all the, all the Sunday school paid off. Jesus is the answer truly in this situation. Jesus. Jesus is our paraclete. Jesus is with us. Jesus helps us see the Father. And the Holy Spirit is called our paraclete. The Holy Spirit is in us. The Holy Spirit helps us see Jesus. In verses 19 and 20, Jesus says, Soon the world will not see me, but you, you'll see me. When I'm raised to life again, you'll know that I'm in my Father, you're in me, and I am in you. How do we know what God is like? We look at what Jesus was like. We look at Jesus' words and teachings and actions and character in Scripture, 
how he humbly entered into people's brokenness and mess, offering them hope, how he suffered and wept with the people through their pain and loved and served with compassion. But how do we know what Jesus is like? We look at the Holy Spirit living inside the church, the figurative body of Christ. So church, do you see Jesus? Do you recognize Jesus when you see him? I see Jesus all around this place. I see Jesus through the slices of life. I see Jesus as your team and small group leaders sacrifice for people that they've never met before to help them feel welcome and known and loved, maybe for the first time in their life. I see Jesus when I see one of you sitting with someone else, sharing your journal or sharing scripture. I see Jesus as our pastors and missionaries play with their kids and love on them. I see Jesus as our roadies team serves behind the scenes to help spread the gospel. I see Jesus in this place because the Holy Spirit is in us and he shows Jesus to us. Through the Spirit, we embody Christ to each other. And through the Spirit, you don't have to just get from community. You can give. You can give like Jesus gave. And let's not forget what Jesus said. The Holy Spirit will be in you. When you put your faith in Jesus, the Spirit comes to dwell powerfully in you. But some of you are here this weekend, and you've felt life through the people who are here. People who greeted you, people who loved you, people who made you feel welcomed. But whenever you leave these people, it's gone. And you don't know where it went because you've never placed your faith in Jesus. So the Spirit is around you, but not within you. Is the life of Christ just surrounding you, or is it actually in you? In other words, do people see Jesus in you? Do people see Jesus in you? Once you decide to follow Jesus, every day onward, the Spirit is making you more like Jesus. And 2 Corinthians 3 says it this way, For us who turn to the Lord, the Spirit makes us more and more like Jesus, and we are changed into his glorious image. If you want to see the Father, look to Jesus. But how do you see Jesus? You see him through people in the church people who are led by the paraclete, the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit is transforming us into the image of Jesus. So as Christians, when we look into someone's eyes and say to them, I love you, I'm with you, we are being the very image of God to that person. You have the helper to help this community see Jesus. And this matters because when my friend sits in small group and weeps and asks us, where is God? Our small group could blow off this question with some dodgy self-help platitudes. I could look off into the distance and monologue to myself tenets of systematic theology. We could tell him all the things he needs to do to try and get his life back on track. Or one of us can say, wow, brother, 
I'm so sorry, and put an arm around him. And as he recognizes this is a safe place, he'll go on to share more. And he shares his fears and his heart with us. And we don't run, but we sit there with him. And this guy doesn't like to ask for prayer, but we ask if we can pray for him. And so we pray that our helper, our healer, our advocate would walk alongside our friend and would reveal God's heart and provide for his groanings that are too deep for words. And after we all take a moment to sit and grieve the brokenness in this world, my friend would look up and he'd see a pair of eyes welling with tears. And so when he asked in that lucid moment, where is God? He'd have a face he could see, a hand he could touch, a person he could hug, someone he could have a conversation with, someone who is with him. And in that moment, he'd hear the Holy Spirit say clear as day, I've been with you this entire time. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are so, so good to us. Thank you that you have not left us here alone as orphans, but that you came to us and that you are literally living inside us in this moment and that through us, the world can get to know Jesus. And so, Lord, I pray that the world and our campus would know that we are your disciples by the way that we love one another. I pray that the world would see Jesus in action through the church. I pray that men and women who are here this weekend who have been living in hiding can see that there is a God and he loves them, and he has given them eternal worth and eternal value, and because of their identity, because of your grace, they can come out of hiding and be vulnerable. And Lord, I pray for us. I pray that you would speak to us and reveal to us ways that you are leading us to reveal your goodness and your grace through our actions and through our words. I pray that we would be sensitive to you, Holy Spirit, and that in those moments that we are with someone, that when we speak, we would speak the very words of God, that we would speak in a way that reflects you and that we would live and love in a way that shows Jesus to a world that is hurting and broken and in desperate need of you, Lord. Thank you that you have filled us. Thank you that you are a God of hope and redemption and goodness, and thank you that we are your children and that you've adopted us into your family. We love you, and we ask all this in Jesus' name.